And of course, it's about what we've already been talking about here this morning, and that's how we treat other people. If we live in a society, and really even if you're one of those uh, mountain men in Alaska, there's still a society around you somewhere, maybe not as close, and even though we live, some, some of us live on farms and you're further away from other people, you still live in a society. Uh, those of us who live in town see the society more often than others. Uh, we all live in a society, however. There are endless ways that we can keep the command of Jesus that he gives us here. Now, that's true for all kinds of commands in the Bible that Jesus gives us when he's directing how it is we should live our lives and how we should treat other people. There's always an opportunity, even something as simple as driving your car through town and seeing somebody in need. And that's because what we do or don't do will sometimes and uh, often does affect the people around us. So the question comes up, how should we live when we live beside each other? around each other, with each other. What does God expect us to do living as people in a society? So Jesus gives us a rule, many rules really, but today we're focusing on one. Jesus gives us a rule that even most unbelievers know today. Uh, I have heard unbelievers quote this, do to others what you want others to do to you. And that is correct. That's what the Bible says. I've also heard them say, God helps them that helps themselves. That's not in the Bible. That's not what God said. And so they have some things that are right and some things that are not right. This one's right. Do to others what you want others to do for you. Uh, one of my cousins raises cattle, and he was upset one day because a neighbor went and planted his corn right up next to the fence where his stalker cattle were uh, busy feeding. And he said, he knew I was going to have cattle in here. Why didn't he move his corn away from the fence, about three feet at least? If he was a good neighbor, he would have done that. Now, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, uh, it's the neighbor's property. Maybe what you should have done is built a temporary electric fence three feet in on your side. But the point is, one of them had a different idea and the, uh, than the other one did. And so we ended up with this problem. We need to be thinking about how is it that we can get along with other people and what does Jesus want us to do. I wondered if that neighbor ever thought that maybe he should have left his corn back from the fence. I don't even know if it ever crossed his mind. I have no idea. You know, if you were driving along and out in the country, let's say, or even on our highway, and you saw a calf out somewhere and somebody's wheat or their corn or their uh, pinto beans, what would you do? What do you think Jesus would have you do? Uh, probably let that person know and probably not go out and stomp on the beans and the corn to get it back in by yourself, but probably let them know. If you're in a locker room at school and someone left their bag out instead of in their locker, what do you do as a Christian? If your son is driving on a, on a snowy, icy night and he ends up in the neighbor's yard on top of their mailbox with his car, how do you respond? I'll never forget one night in the middle of a blizzard, this young man knocked on my front door and said, I need your help. I said, what do you need? He said, well, I'm stuck in your yard. <laughs> I thought, what are you doing in my yard? Well, he came around the corner too fast. He ended up in our front yard. So I got out there, we had to shovel a little bit, pushed him out, and he just kept right on going. So anyway, uh, yeah, you help. If you see your neighbor's dog on the other side of town, uh, what would you do? Uh, and what would you want them to do if it was your dog? 
I don't know how many times Noel and I are walking around at night and somebody stops by and says, have you seen our dog? <laughs> I don't keep track of what everybody's dog looks like. Uh, could you describe it for me? You know, No, we haven't seen that dog. And so we'll keep your eyes peeled. Okay, we will. If your neighbor is out of town and you happen to notice that their window and their, and their front window is broken out of their house, how do you respond to that? And all I'm trying to say is that there are hundreds of opportunities literally every week where we can put into practice what Jesus tells us to do here today. So let's look at it. Uh, very carefully reading the verse, Matthew 7, 12, Jesus says, in everything. Okay, he didn't say in some things or when you have time, but in everything, therefore, and we ask ourselves, what's the therefore, therefore? It goes back to giving good gifts to people. Remember what he said in verse 11? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So he's talking about giving what is good. Now look, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way that you want, want them to treat you. That's a good thing, right? For this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. When we sum up the law and the prophets, it's this idea that the Lord is getting across. It's this idea he wants us to see. So I want to look at the first part of verse 12. And if you're following in the bulletin, it's, it's point number one. In everything, therefore, what you want others to do for you, you do for them. All right, all I did was restate it. It's a pretty simple verse, isn't it? Whatever I want other people to do for me, I need to do it for them. I need to have that mindset. I need to go uh, out in life and think this is what I'm going to do every chance that I get. I want to quote from something that's called the Didache. The Didache is supposedly uh, a letter or a book that was written. It's only like two of our pages long in small print. Supposedly, the 12 apostles got together and said, let's just put down something simple for the Christians to follow. Now, we don't really know when it was written. We don't know if the apostles wrote it, so it's not scripture. We don't accept it as uh, one of the canonized books of the Bible. But it's, it's fun to read. But what I noticed in the Didache is this. It says, and I'm, it's in King James English. They wrote it in Greek, so I don't know why I have to keep it there, but I'm going to try to read it with just modern English. It says in, uh, in the Didache, chapter 1, point 2, the way of life is this. First of all, you will love the Lord God that made you. Secondly, your neighbor like you love yourself. And all things whatsoever you would not have befall you, don't do that to another. Now you can see that uh, that is another rendition of what we are calling, calling the golden rule. Uh, we often hear it, uh, hear it that way. I also want to bring in an illustration from an apocryphal book, meaning one that is not accepted by uh, Protestant evangelicals as scripture, uh, but it's, uh, it's still, you know, it's good literature, but it's not, it's not scripture. And it's called, it, it's in the, uh, uh, let me see if I have a division there. No, it's in the, the book of Tobit, let's just say that, chapter 4, verse 15a. And we hear this thing again, it says, and what you hate, do not do to anyone. And you can tell that's uh, really close to the same thing that we're talking about. See, in the ancient world of Jesus' day, uh, this rule was written in lots of other literature, 
in the great Greco-Roman world, and it was written in Jewish literature. Jesus was not the first one to come up with that. If you uh, want to, turn with me back to the book of Obadiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. It's only one chapter, so you, know, you can go by it real quick. In the book of Obadiah, way before Jesus Christ, it says these words, For the day of Yahweh draws near, we're talking about a day of judgment, on all the nations. He's saying to the nations, which is this rule for nations, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Now that's another way to look at this and another way to say, how do I want people to treat me? Well, I should treat them in the way I want to be treated. And if I want good things to come back to me, then I need to put good things out for other people. Uh, in, in the ancient world, then, this occurred in lots of literature. Dr. Craig Keener points out that this was a widespread principle of ancient ethics. And as I mentioned, it is a rule that even unbelievers in our day know. Dr. Blomberg, now this is uh, in, a, in a context, so everything that says here is not going to make a lot of sense, but what, what I'm going to read will make sense for our topic. Uh, he says this, most of these parallels, he's talking about the other places in the Bible and uh, the other places in ancient literature that it says this rule. Most of these parallels phrase the rule negatively. Did you notice that? You look at your verse in the Bible, treat other people the same way you want them to treat you. That's a positive way of putting it. Uh, most of the other places in ancient literature, it's in the negative. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. So sometimes when it's in the negative, they don't call it the golden rule. They call it the silver rule, okay, because gold's more you know, expensive than silver. So most of these parallel phrases, the rule negatively sometimes called the silver rule, implying, and here's what, the way that would go, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It is not clear how significant this difference is, but Jesus' positive phrasing does remind us of the principle that uh, we can't fully always carry out uh, Christ's commands, and what he's talking about in the text is we should be trying, though, and doing our best with God's help. Then he quotes Dr. Mounts. As Mounts explains, in its negative form, if you do the golden rule in the negative form, the uh, silver rule, in its negative form, the golden rule could be satisfied by you doing nothing. So Jesus, in his genius, puts it in the positive. The positive form moves us, Dr. Mount says, to action on behalf of others. In other words, it's not the guy on the street begging that has the onus of responsibility to do something nice there. It's the guy in the car that, even though he had a little bit of change in, in the uh, ashtray there, uh, he had something he could have given, but he didn't. Dr. Keener entitles this section in his commentary this way. He says, reciprocate good deeds in faith. Dr. Blomberg says uh, to that, God's generosity to us is the foundation from which we treat others which is the least we can do. So what happened on the street corner is this. I'm the guy with the car. I'm the guy with some spare change. I'm the guy going somewhere. I'm not the guy on the side of the road carrying the sign. By the way, he has, he has really good penmanship, doesn't he? But he's on the road. He's looking for help. You really don't expect to drive up, roll down your window, and say, hey, buddy, why don't you give me a little change? Why don't you give me some money? It's not that way. We're to be looking at what we can do to treat others the way uh, we want to be treated. As believers, we are interested, aren't we, in the well-being of other people? Yes. 
So we need to do something about the command to love our neighbors. This is a way to love your neighbor. This is a way to say, I'm one of Jesus' followers, and this is what I'm going to do for you. This verse is meant to be a conclusion of everything that has been preached from now uh, for, to this point in the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 and verse 20. From chapter 5 and verse 20, where it says this, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the same teacher who is later going to teach that there was a man on a road and the priest would walk by and didn't help him. And there was another Israelite walked by, wouldn't help him. A Samaritan goes by, sees the man in trouble and he treats him in a good way. Obviously, the Lord was saying that's what we need to be. All right, we find this principle in other parts of the Bible. Now I want you, if you would, take your Bible. And I have a few verses there in your bulletin, so if you don't hear what I say, you can get there. Luke 6, 31 to 36. Now this is going to be put in just a little bit of a different way about loving your neighbor, but it's the same truth, right? So in Luke 6, 31, what we read is this. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now, that's our, that's our connection point. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? So you know what? We're not just talking about giving somebody physical aid or money or help like that. We're talking about do you love other people? Would you like to be loved? How do you love other people? Are you critical? Put them down all the time? Make fun of them for what they don't do or do? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? It's easy to love people that love you back. What about those who don't? For even sinners love those who love them. Ouch, that would hurt if that's what we've been doing. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, as what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back uh, the same. But love your enemies and do good. There's that word good. And land expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now let's go back to the book of Matthew and look at another. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22. 37 to 40, Matthew 22. And he said to them, and he said to him, he's actually speaking to one guy who said, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love Yahweh your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole law and the prophets, and it's from this command that it is birth that we should treat others the way we want them uh, to treat us. Let's look at another one, Romans 13, 8. Romans 13, 8. And it says this through verse 10. Love never fails. Remember Jesus in this command? He said, in everything, 
in everything. Love never fails. It should never be a time when it fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, wait a minute, that, that's true, it doesn't, 13, 18, 10, yeah, okay. Uh, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be, no, wait a minute, am I in, I'm in the wrong book, but that, that's a good, uh, that's a good uh, thing to know about that, too. Love never fails. I'm glad that happened. Hope you are, too. Okay, now I'm in the book of Romans 13. That's better. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And one more in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5 and 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we see that over and over. Now, let's go to the Old Testament because it was also taught uh, there in places as well. Exodus chapter 23. So we're correlating other passages of the Bible that talk to this issue. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. So we said, in everything you're supposed to do this, we're always supposed to love. So in in this particular verse, uh, we're looking at Exodus 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox, see, it doesn't matter whether it's a friend or an enemy. If they need something good done for them, then it's it's our responsibility to do it. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall, not, you shall refrain from leaving it uh, to him. You shall surely release it with him. Leviticus 19. So we've learned even with our enemies. You know, I've uh, always been impressed with the theology that's in Leviticus 19. I wrote one of my Old Testament exegetical papers in Leviticus 19. This thing is just packed full of good stuff. We're going to look at verse 18 and verse 34. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance, nor shall you bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. And then drop down to verse 34. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. So even a person you don't know, someone that's uh, wandering through town, and that happens a lot uh, in our towns, people just wandering through and needing help. So the point is, how would I like to be treated in a situation? What if I was the guy with the sign on the sidewalk and he was the guy in the car? How would I like to be treated? Then that answer of how you'd like to be treated determines what we do in the situation at hand for other people. I should not expect you to do for me what I am unwilling to do for you, should I? I should be willing to do whatever is right for you and whatever is good for you. And this is how Jesus wants the community to live for Christ. 
Dr. Barbieri said, believes that this rule can only genuinely be followed. In other words, the only people that can follow this uh, the best way are those who are true believers and not by unbelievers. Now, listen, I've, I've seen unbelievers do nice things for other people. But what he's saying is that we as believers should be able to do it way better than they are because we know Christ and we follow Christ. So I'm not sure that they always surpass us, but I do know that we should be doing it better than those who do not believe in Christ. Friends, what would society be like if this was the way everybody operated with each other? Surely we should be leaders in modeling this way of living and all the things that Jesus has said. Isn't that right? If I come upon a situation involving my neighbor's property, I should ask if this were my property and my neighbor found it, what would I like him to do for me? And then I do it. Um, I've uh, done things for neighbors all the time, looking out for them. I've noticed they tend to look out for you too. When no one was living next door, the shingles were coming off the house, so a couple, three times I went over, and I will admit some of them were in my yard, so I needed to move it uh, so we could mow, but I, I used to pick up all the shingles blowing off the house, putting them on the front porch, and setting a weight on them so they wouldn't blow away. Uh, I would want them to do that for me, so I do it for them. Now I want to look at the last part of this verse. We've read, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Why? For this is the law and the prophets. We're supposed to be concerned about doing what God tells us to do. And it's in the law and the prophets. You know what that says? The Christian church should be doing the things that God taught us in the law and the prophets. We don't throw the Old Testament away and just use the New Testament. So I wondered if, as you read that, this is the law and the prophets. What's the law and the prophets? Well, the way I treat somebody. I wonder if you're thinking what I thought. Of all the teachings in the Old Testament, of all the ceremony, of all the laws in the Old Testament, this may not be what I expected to be the summation of the law of God, the way I treat people. Wouldn't we expect that the law is about salvation, the sacrificial system, teachings about Messiah, and uh, hundreds of eschatological issues? Yes. Instead, it turns out to be about loving God and loving your neighbor and treating others the way you want them to treat you. And so it's very clear that uh, it is what salvation looks like among true believers. It's what love looks like among believers. I think we need to stop and take a look at the summary just a little closer. Regardless of all the sacrifices and the sacrificial system, the priestly system, the laws of atonement and reconciliation, all the laws of God, salvation, the teachings of Messiah, they are so critical in the Old Testament, but we need to look at it this way. Uh, they are critical to us being able to love God and love our neighbors and to live in a way that we treat others like we would like to be treated. You can't get to these things in a pure way, in an honest way, in a genuine way, unless you know God and have a relationship with him through faith. It won't be possible. You cannot do the works of God without the power of God. You can't have the power of God unless you know God. So what we're demonstrating is the law has changed us. The word of God makes us different, and it's for the best. So the law and the prophets are all pointing to one thing. 
redeeming men from the curse of sin, which then is demonstrated by a changed life in fellowship with God and each other. That's what Jesus does. Jesus changes lives. Where they used to not care about their neighbor, wouldn't do anything for a neighbor, especially an enemy, now they're doing things for a neighbor. Now they're doing things, even if they're an enemy, it doesn't matter. Jesus changed their life and their outlook on what it means to be a society. I want you to look at all that God has gone through to return the world to the state it was in before the sin of Adam. God made the world perfect. Everything that he made was good. There was no sin in the world. God put a tree there and said, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. Satan falls from his graces with God. He's kicked out of his position in heaven. He goes to the woman and he tells her lies and he gets her to see, hey, God is keeping good life from you by not letting you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he talks her into it and she eats the tree. She gives it to her husband, uh, the, the fruit. Uh, he gives it, she gives it to her husband. Why don't I slow down and say it right? She gives the fruit to her husband and he eats it. And now the whole human race inherits the sin of Adam. And God gave his only son, gave up his life to pay for our sins on a cross. And if we will believe that he did that for us, by faith he will save us from an eternity in hell. But the point is, God did more than any of us will ever do in the redemption of either ourselves or anyone else. He's the only one that could do it. God went to great extents to save us from eternal hell. Look at the incredible investment that God made and the price that he paid for the problem that we created with our sin. Look at all that God has done just to get us where we are willing to love each other and be willing to love toward each other. And so I think that's why that's the summation of the law. When you see somebody that truly belongs to me, God says, he's somebody that loves the Lord God with all his heart and soul and strength. And he loves his neighbor like he loves himself. If I love my neighbor like I love myself, I'm going to turn around and treat my neighbor like I was treating myself and like I want to be treated. So what does that look like? And I just have a few things here. Uh, this could take up a whole book. I would submit to you that you run into no less than 15 to 20 different things where you're going to make a decision every week, how am I going to treat that other person? What am I going to do for that other person? So it's things like this. Notify a neighbor that a calf is out. I must have been thinking that day about calves that day. I don't know. This is my second one. Be gracious in judgment. Take care of somebody else's property. Take care of something when you borrow it from somebody. Return what is loaned. Be fair with others. Pay the right price for something. Be honest about your work hours. Don't pad it. Don't lie. Have the opinion that I will do more for you than I expect for myself. Honor others. Don't gossip about others. Don't spread rumors about others. Do not steal. Do not trespass where you should not be. Be nice. Be kind. Be trustworthy. Lend a hand. Say a prayer. Say thank you. Say please. Don't waste somebody else's time. 
Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Be sympathetic and love others more than you love yourself. I think that's what Jesus did for us. That can work out in all kinds of different ways. I was trying to think of an illustration of that. I was working for my cousins, and they sent me out with their four-wheel drive tractor with a 42-foot sweep machine. I think you guys call them V-blades. So it had seven-foot, big seven-foot V-blades on it. And I went to the field I was supposed to work, and I had a most miserable time. I tried to get that thing to go in the ground, and it would go in for a little while, then it would pop out, then it would go back in, it would pop out. And you don't hire somebody to work a field, and you just work half of it. So I'm radioing in, and I'm saying to Dan, I said, Dan, I can't get this thing to work right. I wonder if this is the right implement for this. And he said, oh, it'll probably be okay. I'm sitting there. I know it's not okay. I just left a whole place there that that just wasn't working. So I get out. I tilt the blades down. So I had to get a couple crescent wrenches, tilt it down. I still couldn't keep it in. I tried going slower. That didn't keep it. I tried going faster. I, I, I lowered it into the ground, the whole thing a little bit. I still couldn't do it. I finally stopped at an end. I raised it all up. I took a shovel. I crawled through that thing and, because I thought, well, maybe it's not scouring. I took a shovel. It's hot out, and I cleaned all those blades off. I still couldn't keep it in the ground. And I finally called and I said, this isn't working. Do you hear me? I'm trying to do a good job for you. If I was doing my own field, I wouldn't put up with this. I maybe would go get a disc back when we did things like that and, and, and you know, try to get this ground open up so I can work it. And I said, it isn't working. He later told me that his wife said, oh, he's always so nervous about everything. I'm sure it's fine. It's working fine. And he said to his wife, he said, listen, honey, Your view of things working and Greg's view of things working are whole different worlds apart. He finally came over. He couldn't keep it in the ground either, so we went to a different implement. But the point is, if that was my field, plus I'm getting paid for this, plus he expects me to get it done right, I'm going to do the very best I can. So if I'm working for somebody else or I have to do something for somebody else, I want it done right. I want it done the best that I can do because that's what I would want. I realize sometimes people don't have the same idea of what's good or how much needs to be done. Mine tends to be a little higher than most. Uh, Some would call me uh, a workaholic or a perfectionist. Now, I'm none of those, all right? Just ask me, how can we apply this? Number one, this is our guideline when dealing with others. This is our guideline when dealing with others. So I should always have it in my mind, whatever I'm doing or whatever I see in the neighbor's yard or what they need help with, what would I want done? And now I'm going to take the time to go do it. Now I'm going to take the time uh, that could have been mine to do for my neighbor what I wish they would do for me, especially if they had a broken window. I was a delivery boy for the Denver Post. And on Sunday, if you took a Sunday-only paper, it would be that thick. It was all I could do to roll the thing up and hold it together with five or six rubber bands. I had to deliver all the Sunday-only papers on my bicycle first because they just took up all the room. And so I'd go and I'd I'd take this, it seemed like 80-pound thing of paper, try to wing it up on the porch. Well, one day I was tired and I'd had it and I was tired of pedaling my bike up and down the hills. I took that Sunday only and whipped it up there to that house and I went right through the front window. And they weren't home. And I didn't have a cell phone in those days, kids. There's no such thing. And my house, luckily, was only about two blocks away. 
So I rode home and I told my dad, I just broke out the neighbor's front window and they're not home. So we got some plywood out and we cut a, a piece out that would fit over the window, went back there, tried to wedge it in there the best we could until they came home. And then in my thriving paper route business, I got to pay about $100 back then to have a new front window put in in their house. That's what I think if I owned a home, I would want somebody to do for me, right? Uh, I do cost myself a lot of money. Always have. Number two, we do this regardless of what others do to us. Did you catch that? It's what you wish or want them to do for you. And maybe some would reciprocate, but even if they don't, even if they wouldn't do that for you, even if they would say, well, that was nice that you fixed that for me or you picked this up for me or you fixed my window or you, or you worked my field the way it should, that's nice, I love that, but I'm not going to do that for you. I don't have time for that. That's not our business. We're children of the king. And so uh, I think this was a good addition. Dr. Blomberg said, Jesus is not assuming pathological deviations in people, nor a drive for self-aggrandizement. In other words, he's talking about the normal person that follows Jesus, and they're not prideful, and they're not trying to get recognition for what they've done. He's not talking about that. He's talking about people like you and me, everyday people that want to please God. And I think it's a good caveat. And finally this, our motives must be pure. Our motives must be pure. Our heart must be right in doing this. And you know what? Another thing, if we see ourselves as servants of Jesus and servants of others, it's going to be easy to make our heart right. So I want to leave you with a saying that I tried to put together, and it goes like this. If it isn't good enough for me, it's not good enough for my neighbor. If it isn't good enough for me, it's not good enough for my neighbor. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, this is just one, one little verse in your sermon, but it's huge. It touches so many issues in our lives in a society and working together. I pray that you would help us, Lord, that there would be conviction in our hearts to make sure at least that we're thinking about this command when we're dealing with other people or when we see what's happened at the neighbor's house and what they might need. I pray that you would help us, Father, to treat others the way we want them to treat us. In your name we pray. Amen.